feedback is a really important thing, and it's a tricky thing. It's much more complex than most people think. Um, you know, sometimes we wish we could just like, here are the eight things that I would like you to change about you. <laughs> change about the way that you did that. Uh, and, it, you know, it's not quite that simple. And one of the things that um, we think about feedback is that people practice taking it. And that is very different from practicing using it. And maybe I'll just use an example from my own life. I have a mixed record, if I could be honest, about getting my laundry in the laundry basket. And so um, my wife is trying to improve me. And sometimes she gives me feedback and she'll say, honey, it's actually not that hard for you. A, a, a man of, you know, a, a, someone like yourself should be able to, you wrote a book, you should be able to get your laundry in the laundry basket. It's really important. It makes a mess of the bedroom. And then it's harder for us all to clean up afterwards. And I know that I'm supposed to be able to take feedback well. And so I look her in the eye and I nod earnestly and I say, yes, honey, you are absolutely right. I'm going to do better. So as you can see, Ted, I'm really good at taking feedback. And the problem is that the next day I throw my laundry on the floor again because I'm practicing taking feedback. In fact, I'm getting better at ignoring her feedback graciously as opposed to using her feedback. And so if my wife had read um, the chapter of Practice Perfect where we talk about this, fortunately she hasn't, she would cause me to use the feedback right away. And so she might say something like, here's a pile of your laundry. Let me see you put it, <laughs> let me see you successfully put it in the basket. See, there it is. This is what I would expect of you every And that would be building muscle memory of doing it correctly. So all the time in schools, we give people feedback, teachers or students, here's the way you should do it. Right, nod, smile earnestly, maybe even write it down. That seems like the feedback is going well. But that's practicing taking feedback, and that's very different from practicing using feedback. And so um, let me see you try that right now. Even like in uh, a session between when we're developing teachers, a young teacher comes in, they've, uh, they've asked a lot of yes or no questions. It could be open-ended questions. Here are the questions that you asked in your lesson. Let me hear you just, do you mind rephrasing those as open-ended questions right now? Let's just practice it right here. Let me see you do that. Great. So that's practicing using feedback. And then, great. Will you do this? Send me your lesson plan for tomorrow with five open-ended questions that you plan to ask in class. And then after class, will you send me a reflection on how it went and whether you thought there was a difference? So this is not like, this is, this is what I would call implicit accountability, right? It's accountability and it's like, but it's not like I'm checking on you because I don't trust you. Accountability, it's my goal is to make you better. And so I'm going to build into your life the expectation that when we talk about something that I want you to try, you're going to use it, and then you're going to reflect on it and tell me whether it worked. And if it didn't work, you don't have to use it. But most of the time, people reflect on the feedback before they've even tried it. You know, that's not really going to work for me. Uh, we practice taking feedback more than using feedback, and that's an easy switch pretty much anywhere in the educational world. I would love to talk about those, by the way. So um, the best kind of behavior-shaping, culture-shaping very small fixes very early on. Sometimes we think that if we, if there's something that's not what it's supposed to be, it's bothering us or it's not productive for students, and if we let it go for a while, it will dissipate of its own volition, and that's usually not the case. And so what we've noticed about great teachers is not, is it looks invisible in their classroom. If you go into their classroom, you think they never talk about behavior. That's what I want, so I will never talk about behavior. And if you do that, the likely result will be that you will talk about nothing but behavior, ironically. What they really do is they do very small fixes on very small behavior as soon as it emerges in the least invasive way possible. 
And so when I think about that, we all know that this is true, that the first step to, man to managing a culture is seeing what happens. So looking carefully. So the first thing that like, that no one talks to teachers about this, by the way, but the first thing is to practice looking at your classroom. So a lot of times we're really busy. We've got a big science lesson. Okay, guys, let's get those, uh, the scales out and the mineral samples. And we're going to, we're going to be going through them to figure out mass, right? And just a couple of minutes. And then, um, it's a, it's a complex lesson. I'm a little bit stressed and I look down at my notes, right? And what I communicate in that moment when I look down at my notes is I won't see whether you do what I asked you to do or not. And really I don't care that much because something else is on my mind as opposed to we see super proficient teachers is they might say, okay, guys, let's get the scales out and your mineral samples ready to go. Great. And just that second when they take to, to look, one helps them see what's happening in their classroom, but two, they're doing something else, which is they are be seen, being seen looking. They are showing students very subtly, see me looking, I'm looking to see whether you did what I asked you to do. You did what you're supposed to do. Whether I ask you to do what, what you know you're supposed to what the culture says you're supposed to do, what's most corrective for yourself. And so I care. And that's a huge incentive in when people actually do it. We all know this is true because we were all middle schoolers once, and we had that teacher who we said about her, and my middle school was Miss, it was Miss Cosby. If you're watching this, Miss Cosby, thank you. I still love you. Um, <laughs> she, we said about her, she has eyes in the back of her head, which is our way of saying she sees everything in the classroom and my behavior changed accordingly. In one classroom, you know, as the teacher was doing whatever he was doing, I would take out my rubber band, you know, below my desk here, and I'd, like, I'd look over at Kevin, and I'd sort of pantomime, like, see, I have a rubber band. I could shoot it across the room. And Kevin, of course, would say, do it, do it. And so the teacher at the front of the room couldn't see me. And so, like, A, I could get away with it, and B, now there was implicit pressure to do it. But in Miss Cosby's class, as soon as I took out that rubber band, because she saw the classroom while she saw it, and she would just crane her neck a little bit. She wouldn't even say anything to me. She would crane her neck, and I'd say, oh, she sees me. Cos sees me. I can't do it. Or she might say, you may put that away, Mr. Ma. Thank you. But she, I thought I was so smart for figuring out that she could see everything that I did, but she was actually intimating it all along with these very subtle cues that teachers use at no cost of instruction that just show, I'm watching you. So it might be just a really clear swivel around the room, or maybe you just look like you're like, uh, we call this the invisible column. Like I'm craning my neck to see around an invisible column to just make sure everything's okay. Yeah, everything's okay. Out there, great. Or maybe you just, um, you add a little bit of a disco finger to your, uh, to your swivel. So you scan the room and you might go like this. Let's just make sure all those notebooks are out and great. And all I'm doing with that finger is just intimating. See me looking. I'm looking to see whether you took your notebooks out. Um, or maybe, uh, one more example of this, uh, we call these dance moves, by the way, because it's a fun, funny name and makes it easy to practice and also reminds me of, you know, all my great dance moves when I was in college. Uh, and so one of them is um, the sprinkler, which is you start your swivel. Let's get those notebooks out and make sure that we're ready to go. And you snap back. Okay. No, everything's okay. Great. And all I'm doing is, is intimating to you in this very subtle pantomime. I see everything that happens in this classroom. And students respond accordingly. And lots of the behaviors that distract us from instruction, the moment we want to be talking about animal farm, never happen. If you just watch a great teacher move around the classroom, there's so many subtle things that they do. Um, but So your students are doing independent work and they're writing. There are, I'd say, a whole like range of possible things that you can do. You walk up to a student and um, as you walk by them, think of all the different ways you can show 
I'm noticing what you're writing or I'm not noticing what you're writing. I care about what you're writing. I care about its content. It's fascinating to me or I just want to make sure you're doing it. So you could walk by and just as one teacher that I watched recently do, did just sort of subtly tap the table. Uh, he just put his finger on the, on the paper that students were working on as if like that's what I'm looking at when I walk by you. Very subtly to say, I'm looking to see if you're writing. But you could also every once in a while just pick up a paper and stand and read it for three or four seconds and hand it back to the student and then keep going. And that says, I really care about what you're writing here. You don't even know what I think about it. Uh, and sometimes it's even more powerful if you then stand behind the student's shoulder and they can't actually see you reading it, right? And then, uh, you know, depending on how you want to intimate this, you can also, you know, you can make, or you can stand where they can see and make a very like, oh my goodness, this is a very exciting face, or I'm, I'm shocked. There might be a, you know, laugh, and the thesis sentence might not be perfect uh, on this paper face, but the notion that lots of times, lots of times when we're walking around our classrooms, we are checking, we're looking to see whether students are working, a higher level than that is looking to see whether they're doing it right and constantly giving them feedback to know that, that we care not just about execution but about quality and that we care about their ideas. And you can do that sort of like you pointed out with the dance moves with a series of pantomimes. You know, I pick up your paper and I, and I hand it back to you. Uh, and what I say is this is fascinating, this is interesting to me. I do it at no disruption to your thinking, at no... Uh, cost to instructional time. I don't distract the other students around you who then are like, what did he say to, to Jason? Uh, so I preserve the product productivity of the work environment, but I communicate tacitly accountability and interest in what my students do. Our teachers frequently are trying to set a tone where people are taking risks. And if we invite yeah. students to take risks, the, water, the, the metaphorical water temperature in the room can go up and up and up and sometimes into unpredictable yeah. zones. And so the teacher has to constantly exude the sense that, um, that they're confident. Can you talk about strong voice? Yeah. It's so interesting. In every school, there is at least one teacher who can wander yay into the valley of the lunchroom uh, at, you know, 12.30 on the day after Halloween and can control the room, basically can talk to students in a way that they become attentive and they listen, even if they're worked up, maybe, you know, even though they're emotional for whatever reason, it's a teacher who can walk in when uh, a kid is furious and about to shut down and can get a student to listen. So we kind of tried to study what those teachers did. And a lot of the things that they do are very counterintuitive. And maybe two of the ones that jump out at me are one, quiet power which is a lot of times when we want students to follow our directions, we think that if we get louder and faster, we're being forceful. We're showing students that we really want them to follow our directions. And what we're really doing is showing that we're a little bit out of control, which ratchets up the temperature in the room, as you pointed out. And we're showing that when you do what you're doing, you can, you shape what I'm doing as a teacher. And so you actually control me to some degree. And for some students who may not control much in their lives, that can be a very powerful feeling and a lot more interesting than adding fractions with unlike denominators. And so one of the key steps to helping students to listen and process during emotionally fraught moments, whether they're about behavior or life, is this notion of, quiet, of quieter and slower. And students listen actually more carefully. And I would just say that if no one had ever read this book, as a parent, I would be incredibly grateful for, them for this advice because it's totally changed my parenting. Sometimes, sometimes without success. 
The other thing uh, that strikes us about something, you're slightly outside your comfort zone because of what you're talking about, where you're worried that a maybe difficult student is not going to do what you asked her to do. You start throwing a lot of words at the problem. Okay, guys, I asked you to get out your notebooks, and I'm noticing that many of you have not taken out your notebooks, and I'm, I'm not really sure why that would be, because my directions, I think, were pretty clear. And you know the expectation in this classroom is that when I ask you to take out your notebooks, your notebooks are out. So again, I'm projecting nervousness and the fact that I don't really know how to handle this situation. But the other thing that I'm doing is I'm taking the most important thing that you need to do. Take your notebooks out in this case, so there could be a much more important thing. And I'm diluting it with things of secondary and tertiary importance. And so of all those things that I just talked about, which ones will you attend to? I don't know. So I find this incredibly, you know, I have three children, I love them. They're really good kids. But at the end of a long day when they were little of you know soccer and piano lessons and school and homework and everything else, sometimes things could be a little frenetic. And so I learned to use a cognitive language like we would you know get out of the tub and if I said, Okay, hop out of the tub, dry off, go over to the sink, brush your teeth, and I'll meet you in your bedroom for story time in five minutes. Right? That's a lot of things to concentrate on when you're seven and frazzled. Guaranteed someone would be naked in the living room before you could say Harry Potter. But if I was really attentive to my economy of language, and I said, okay, out of the tub, good, dry off. Thanks, love. Over, brush your teeth. And maybe if they struggle, then I make it even simpler. Toothpaste on the toothbrush. Good. You know what to do from here. Okay. Then it helps students to focus on the single most important thing. So oftentimes under duress, fewer words are better than more. And the last thing I would say about that is it's very counterintuitive, especially to young teachers new to the profession. I think louder, faster, more work, you know, more words makes the point more forcefully. Louder makes the point more forcefully. And in fact, the opposite is true. Um, Doug, I, I, could, I could go on picking your brains uh, for, the, for the full 62 techniques. Instead, I'm going to suggest that, that people read your book. And um, um, I, I just want to thank you for spending time with us. I've learned so much thinking more clearly now about the power of shared vocabulary and mm. the power of clarity and the power of nonverbal communication. So thank you very much. Thanks. I really enjoyed it. And thanks for everything you do to help teachers be the best of the most important work.